listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 120 of the Testudo Times Podcast, where I have to admit now, I actually care about the Atlanta Hawks. Not something I ever thought I'd say in my life, but now I care about the Atlanta Hawks. Thomas Kensor, what do you think about caring about the Atlanta Hawks? It's it's definitely an interesting uh, new development in my life. Um, you know, I've always kind of liked at least their new jerseys. Um, okay. I'm not sure exactly how I feel about the logo. I love the organist. Yeah, I was about to um, say, I love their organist. That's That's the best thing that the Hawks have. Their organist is amazing. And they have hot sauce, too. Yep. So. Yep. They do have hot sauce. I can also say that their Twitter account is fun. Yes. So that's the best things I could say about the Atlanta Hawks. I would have to be until until now. Until now, this is correct. And uh, Lamar, uh, what what do you think about caring about the Atlanta Hawks? I think it's gonna come back in the style. I'm a I'm a I'm a fan. They they've given reason to care. Can we get the freeze at Atlanta Hawks games now? I just thought of that. The freeze versus hot sauce. I'm just thinking of ways to get people in the building if they don't want to watch Kevin Herter and Trey Young. I don't know why you wouldn't want to do that. That's actually kind of fun. But John Collins, Torian Prince, too. Starting to get a squad over there. Oh, uh, Dennis Schroeder oh, still hanging around? In like 10 years or like five. Five years, yeah. No, Dennis Schroeder has to be traded, right? He just watched like a couple of people come in and like, yeah, I'm going to take your job. I saw it. Yeah, I mean, he's still in the roster. You could turn him now. back into a uh, turn him back into a backup. Might be your best. They side. wouldn't do that. They They're not going to do that. Some some not very that good money. team will think that Schroeder's really good and trade for him. I would expect that at least. So we we were missing the point because Kevin Herter was drafted by the Atlanta Hawks. Now the, today's story was that the GM of the Hawks, Travis Slank, did not know his name until last night. Apparently, formerly worked in the Golden State organization. I saw a tweet where it's like. Here's Trey Young as your low-ranked Steph Curry. Here's Kevin Herter as your low-ranked Clay uh, uh, Thompson. And here's uh, Omari Spellman as your low-ranked, I think it was Draymond Green or something like that. And I'm just going, uh, okay, <laughs> you do you guys. But Kevin Herter is now an Atlanta Hawk. But the great story from last night was now, as we're reading it today, is they were going to move up the Hawks to pick Kevin Herter to where Milwaukee was. And then they saw Shams and Woj tipping picks, and then they didn't trade. I found that very amusing, especially because the big story heading into the draft last night was the NBA police tell, uh, telling Woj and Shams, don't tip the picks, please. And they still did. Or Woj <laughs> saying, Team X is locked in on X player, which was hilarious. Oh, they're tantalized by. Tantalized. Has a laser focus. Yeah, yeah so. Woj is on another level. Yeah, so I what I read was that Mark Stein was actually the guy who started it because they didn't have a rule for the New York Times. Yeah, and and, why did they and so then the when when he started breaking else. picks, when he started breaking picks, um, you know everyone else was like, all right, fine, we're gonna compete with him, and so it became Woj and Shams again. It did happen, but don't you like the fact that because the media was tipping picks, they Hawks did not trade up to draft Kevin Herter. Like it, it was much more amusing to me than it should have been. Well, it's nice that they didn't have to, and he still. He still fell to him. 
I could have sworn that I thought the Spurs were going to draft him because that just seems like a thing the Spurs would do. They didn't do Lonnie it, fell. No one they expected got, Lonnie to really fall. Yeah, they got Lonnie Walker in his hat. The hat that was floating? <laughs> that was also amazing last night. I, I was yeah, I got jealous. with the floating hat. From Reading. Yep. Good for repping for Reading, and he still played for Miami. Anyway, let's talk about uh, Kevin Herter and the fit with the Hawks, Lamar. Uh, as we've been joking about, the Hawks were not a very good team last year, had three first-round picks, and are trying to rebuild in a very Warriors-type way because their GM was in the Warriors organization. So now you have Kevin Herter playing with Trey Young, which sounds really fun until, that is, Trey Young takes shots from 30 feet, 35 feet out in Norcross as opposed to passing the ball. Well, the good thing is they can afford to be more like those early Warriors teams that Steph was on where uh, they weren't really expected to compete. And while the East is still wide open, you know there's still a like a respected hierarchy. It's going to be the Warriors, the Rockets, people coming after them. So wherever it's going LeBron to goes. wherever LeBron goes. Um, Do you think he so, wants to play with Kevin Herter? I think Kevin Herter would have given a bail sales pitch than Collins. LeBron would not ever he he think about going to Atlanta for a second and then remember destroying that team after they have 60 wins and laugh that's true. um but I like it I, I really like the fit I was I actually like thought heard it like a couple picks before I had a feeling I heard it was gonna fall here because I was just thinking you get young throwing bays more or just start this year for like another year or so you still have Prince now you have Spellman too, and John Collins, and that's a pretty solid squad in a couple years. So it's all about the development here. They're not in any position to compete soon, and there's going to be no pressure to. But Atlanta might walk away with this uh, with two really good players. That is, Trae is is better than some people think he might be, because the the uh, whole talk before the draft was a little concerned about Trae Young, and they traded down to get Trae Young. You know, yeah. the Mavericks really wanted Luka Doncic very badly, apparently, and the Hawks were like, "Yeah, we'll take Trey Young." You like Luka is probably the would probably be the better pick at three. Like the Mavericks made out with this one, great, great uh, trade. But Trey is still probably the best shooter in this class, and best passer 1A to Doncic, uh, best passer 1B to Doncic's 1A. So you still have the questions about how much of a defensive liability he can be, but at the end of the day, he scores the ball in bunches and can see the floor really well. Mm-hmm. That'll help give Kevin Hurd a chance to spot up. Yeah. Uh, Hurd is going to live around that three-point line this next year, and once he starts incorporating some of the slashes of the basket, he might, he could, he's going to get dangerous uh, more in that role. You saw him once he got comfortable this year uh, at Maryland. Mm-hmm. Thomas, so what do we think, aside from all the joking about the Hawks being mostly irrelevant, what do we think about the fit? I mean, it, it looks like a pretty good fit, you know, as, you know, really everything Lamar said, I think, you know, Herder is, Herder would be a good fit in a lot of places just because of the skill set he has, you know, can translate into pretty much any system. Um, it looks like he, I, I would imagine he would be a good running mate for Trey Young. 
or we'll, we'll see if Trey Young's a good running mate for Kevin Herter. But you know that's yes, yes, you said discussion it for another time. Yeah, I mean, and then you know I I like Spellman as you know in addition to that group. So I mean that's what the are going off of right now, which is yeah, just potential. Yeah. There's the potential that this works out really well. There's also the potential that they're the Atlanta Hawks and this is terrible, but there's potential and that's good. I mean, a bad team needs hope and Trey Young and Kevin Herter, it sounds like it could work in theory. And when you read the, what the draft Knicks are saying, it very much sounds like it work in practice. They've got a new coach. It's an entirely new team. So you'd hope that's a situation where they're starting fresh. There's no pressure on Kevin Herter to do anything crazy next couple of years. So that allows them to kind of grow with a young core and that, that should definitely help him out. I think that, you know, there's opportunities for him to be really, really successful pretty early because he's going to get those looks. Teams are going to key in on Trey Young, or they're going to key in on other players. Herter's going to be somebody who I don't think teams are going to defend as closely as they might have otherwise if he was on another team. So there's a good chance that he could be very successful very early on. Really, really hoping that in some bizarro universe, Kevin Herter's rookie of the year. I doubt that will ever happen, but if it does, then it'll be the best thing that's happened to Maryland basketball in a decade. Yeah, pretty much. I think that's going to be uh, the most fun part about this season is now actually turning on a Hawks game late just to see, oh, that's how well Kevin Herter did tonight. All right. Because that's basically what we're doing now is because Alex Len has been sent way down the depth chart. Everybody else in Maryland's in the G League, so it's Kevin Herter or bust at this point. Yeah, I mean, Jake Lehman's been on the Blazers roster this whole time, but, you know, he's not getting off the bench. Barely plays because they don't have a G League team. And speaking of G League, allows us to get to Justin Jackson, who was drafted, Lamar, by the Nuggets, then traded to the Magic, as I was reading tweets from people who know more about how teams draft and what they like than uh, I do. The Magic love players with giant wingspans, apparently. Oh, yeah. You got Bamba, Biombo still over there for now, Gordon. But I w- it, was a bit, it was a quick turnaround in feelings for me because – uh, as a Nuggets fan, I saw that we had traded for the number 140, the 41st pick, and we're taking Vanderbilt. But I hadn't thought through the ramifications of what that might mean once Justin got drafted. And I was like, oh, this is great. We get both of them. We really went all out on, like, injured sleepers because that would have been MPJ, uh, Michael Porter Jr. of Vanderbilt, who played 14 games at Kentucky, and – Jackson, who we all know how his last season went, but I really like him going to Orlando again, a fit where he could pan out and he'll have time for like G, G League designations. Uh, it's a really good fit for him because the Nuggets are barely miss the playoffs. They don't really have a lot of space to develop players right now, other than like ones that are like in their competition timeline. And they don't really have they, – they don't have a G League team. Atlanta – I mean, Orlando has the Lakeland Magic, where we'll probably hear a lot about Justin there. Uh, and took Bamba. I forget who else Orlando took. But really good landing spot for Justin. I'm glad he got drafted. I think he's going to bring some – he's going to bring that length and a little bit of physicality to that team. Did you think he wasn't going to get drafted? I thought we were going to be waiting until later. I thought he was going to the 50s. I had actually, like, so I had all yesterday was, like, prep or, well, 
Today's Friday uh, that we're recording this. So yesterday was Thursday, uh, and I was prepping from like two o'clock to right before the draft started. So I had Justin prepped. I had uh, Kevin prepped. But once Kevin left, I thought we were waiting until like the 50s for Justin. I had just decided I had enough time to hop in an Uber and go somewhere. I'm in the car. Immediately, Justin gets picked. So I'm mobile from like then and for like the next half hour as he's getting picked and then traded around. Mm-hmm. So he will have plenty of chances to play at the G League. He will also presumably, I think he's playing in the Summer League this year, or at least a little bit, right? Yep, he'll quit. Well... It depends on how – so he clears the six-month barrier for contact in July, but we don't know exactly what date that is. The first summer league starts up, I believe, on like the 6th and runs to the 16th. So it's it all depends on how his shoulder is and how close he is to competition when all this kicks off. We should probably see him before the end of it, though, at least in limited minutes. And Kevin Herter's – hand injury i think it's his pinky has a torn ligament in it he's not going to play in the uh, summer league which is a shame because i would have liked to have seen that that was the news that came out as we said when we did the last show right after we had recorded basically and it was announced that kevin herter was going to miss a couple of months but both of them should be ready and healthy for the start of training camp kevin herter you're going to see a lot of him in the big show next year you'll be watching the lakeland magic play the iowa wolves and mellow trimble or the salt lake city stars where diamond stone is playing apparently i actually had to look that up because i didn't know it and you'll be watching that on Twitch right after you watch Ninja obliterate people. So that's where you'll be watching a lot of Maryland players in 2018-19. And you would have been where Jake Lehman would have been playing if the Trailblazers had a G League affiliate, which they don't. I don't know why they don't have a G League affiliate. I don't know why some teams don't have a G League affiliate and others do, but that's something that NBA people could talk to me about. So any final thoughts, Thomas, on the night for Maryland basketball? It was a pretty good night, all things considered. Kevin Herter was going to go in the first round there was no way I think he was going to leave if he wasn't given a guarantee and he did he went 19th it's the highest player picks it's Alex Len and you could argue has the best chance of a Maryland player in the pros being successful in a really long time yeah I mean I think if nothing else his his floor is you know a rotational player um you know because he can shoot he can pass he can you know defend and teams need all of those things. So, but you know, I, I don't really know what a ceiling is. I didn't even consider that he was, you know, going to be leaving for the draft until last month. So, you know, there's still, you know, he, he kind of snuck up on a lot of people. And if that rise continues, you know, once he recovers from surgery and he's, you know, in the pros, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, room to grow still. Absolutely. And I have to admit, uh, I think, was he the, uh, the first player that was drafted that wasn't in the green room? Or he was close to it? I don't remember. One of you who there paid were... attention last night, I would tell me. Um, I can't. I don't think Troy Brown was in the green room. He went to the yeah, Wizards. him and Troy. Because they were talking about him being in Albany. And apparently the entire team went up, which was pretty cool. handful of players did. Um, Bruno was there. Andrew Dustin, Carroll was there. Of course he was. Dustin Clark, who's no longer with the team, showed up as well because he was uh, the lead recruiter for Kevin. That would make sense. Well, that, was, that was a cool scene. That's a giant watch party. Yeah, that was a 
very large watch party. We have not found out if Justin Jackson had a watch party at all. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to think about that because it would make me kind of sad. Now, I keep thinking, like, what would have happened if Justin Jackson wasn't uh, injured last season? And now that we know how that draft would have played out, Lamar, I'm going to ask you because you probably know a little more than I do. How do you think things would have been different for Justin Jackson if he didn't miss most of the season with injury? That's hard to tell because he never was himself when we saw him this year. So we don't really know how much he had improved over the summer. Uh, more, If you compare it to how things would have panned out had he left last year, though, it's about the same outcome. He was in range like, what, 25 to 45? He went 43rd. Uh, so he went as... He did as well as like he would have done at worst last year, um, or who knows. But it's hard to really tell how he would have done had he had a full season because he still was the team's leading rebounder when he went out. He hasn't noticed for the boards, but he couldn't shoot, and that what his floor stretching is one of the things that makes him as versatile a prospect and like would have pushed him up draft boards. Where do you think he would have ended up if he could play in a way that resembled what he did in his freshman season and took a step forward? Don't know whether it's a huge step forward, but a step forward. Now that we know Uh, where the draft played out and what teams like what. So I think he ends up, and like Marilyn might end up with two first round picks if like, Say Kevin t- uh, plays the same way he does, and you just add whatever additional production on top of whatever Maryland did this year from Jackson. He he ends up in like the mid twenties, late late first round because you assume his three point shooting comes a little bit back to his norm because he's not a forty four point three point shooter, but if he's somewhere around. 37, 38, 39, it still shows that he has that range and and with his rebounding and he shows a little bit of skills dribbling the ball and driving to the basket, plus on the defensive end, he's a first-round pick probably. Mm-hmm. I think it all makes sense, but that was a pretty good night for Maryland basketball, and you hope there are many more of them if Kevin Herter plays as well as we all think he can with the Hawks, even if the Hawks win 20 games next season. He'll be in the Zion Williamson sweepstakes. But imagine him on that team. Something to think about as we all now have to care about the Atlanta Hawks. My first thought was, boy, Kevin, you got a couple things that you should do when you're in Atlanta. Not go to the varsity, because it's overrated. Hammer the golden spike at Atlanta United game, because Atlanta United is going to be more popular than the Hawks. Remember that the traffic is terrible. It's kind of like the Spanish Inquisition. You don't expect it to be as bad as it is, but it's terrible. And then... uh, when you're on the bench, admire how great the organist is because the organist is amazing, and that's the best part of Hawks games. And the best part for me is that with family down there, I could probably go for 10 to 15 bucks and just sit there the entire night watching Kevin Herter. Sounds like a good night out for me. And uh, if I was going to have to have him go anywhere that I could watch him play more, it was either the Sixers or the Hawks. So good on Atlanta for doing that. I hope he succeeds in a major way. Of current Maryland basketball note, Thomas... Right after we recorded our last show, we were wondering whether they were going to schedule a Power 5 opponent or close to it, and they're playing Seton Hall. That's nice. Yeah, it's it's sort of a, it's a good and bad schedule. You know, they 
didn't have a Gavit Gaines opponent, so they replaced it um, with Seton Hall, who, you know, if you think about Seton Hall the last few years, it's a really good schedule. However, Seton Hall did lose most of its production from this past year um, and didn't bring in a ton. So, you know, that probably won't be... I'd be surprised. Like I'd be surprised if Seton Hall makes the tournament again. Um, but at least it's better than more teams like Mount St. Mary's or Bowie State. Yeah, and they did just schedule a Loyola Maryland. So I was really hoping it was UMBC. Unfortunately, still, it wasn't. There is still room for UMBC. Yeah, it was kind of sad that they didn't do that. But I mean, at this point, they have no tournaments that they're playing in. And the only other out-of-conference, major conference team they're playing is Virginia. And they haven't really scheduled much. I mean, they had a home-and-home with Oklahoma State. They played Pitt and whatever the hell the Barclays Center tournament was. No, Pitt was the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They played Kansas State in that Barclays Center tournament, whatever the hell it was. You know, they don't schedule particularly difficult. And I don't know how many games left they still have to schedule because I I heard there was, what, 11 games out of conference that they're scheduling? I thought it was going to be 12, but apparently it's 11. So what's still left to do? Um, yeah, I mean, we don't have dates for most of them. I think there's still three, maybe four games left. Uh, three. Twelve would surprise me. Okay. Because teams Thank are you. playing 31 regular season games almost across the board. Okay, so 11. And that means they would have three spots left, you said, Lamar, yeah? Yep. Okay. So hopefully there's another Power 5 team in there or somebody that's good. Because while they'll have a good conference schedule it's still needed that you play somebody at a conference, and we'll see whether Maryland actually does that. Uh, let's switch gears to the athletic director search. For a while, it was radio silence from everyone. We had assumed that it was going to be pretty on track for Damon Evans to get the job. And then you see, Thomas, the names that have come out in the last couple of days, and it's an interesting final three. Damon Evans is, of course, one of them. So let's talk about these two other names that we have in there, one of them being John Curry after his uh, fiasco with Tennessee. It's really inspiring. Yeah, so I don't really know. It's very hard for me to see a a situation in which Maryland actually hires John Curry like now. I hope so. It's just hard to see. Um, Yeah, Curry is... I haven't gotten a full consensus on what people thought of him at Kansas State, but if you, you know, gain and lose an athletic director position in less than a year, as he did at Tennessee, no matter what the circumstances are, it can't really be good. Um, It might be extenuating circumstances, though, because Tennessee fans have been proven to be insane and are also kind of uh, zealots. Uh, that, I'll go politely there and use the word zealots. So, I mean, yeah, he didn't make good in that situation, but I don't think he was put in a good position. Let's be fair. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, you know, it, as a result, it's just a hard thing to sell to, you know, a fan base and an alumni base and a donor base. Of, this is very true. You know, hey, here's our new leader, is the guy who got forced out very publicly, unceremoniously. At, at, um, I say, at a much just, bigger job yeah, than Maryland, let's be fair. Yeah, like just last year. And the other name is Temple AD Patrick Kraft. And 
She has a decent history at Temple. They've been able to be solid at football at the very least, and they've always had a solid basketball program, though he hasn't had to hire any coaches at uh, Temple men's basketball. So that's an interesting one. Uh, what do you think about that? I think it makes a lot of sense. Apparently, he is uh, reportedly the front runner. That um, is news to me. I would have not expected Patrick Kraft to be the front runner. I would have thought that it still would have been David Evans, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure, you know, how, you know, like what the dynamic is and how close that race is, um, you know, and I'm, not, and I'm not sure if, you know, to what extent Evans, you know, holding the position currently, um, you know, helps him, hurts him, whatever. Um, Kraft has a pretty good resume. He is, you know... He's not like super exciting, but he's got the you know he's got the kind of resume that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know he he's only been the lead athletic director at Temple for three years. Um, he had been there like deputy athletic director, and then previously he was deputy AD at uh, Loyola Chicago. So he knows Sister Jean, I'm sure. That would be great. Um, Maybe we could schedule Yoyo Chicago to play Maryland in basketball. That'd be fun. I just want Loyola Maryland and Loyola Chicago to play each other every year. Oh, oh God. As a, as a play-by-play announcer, I'm thinking, well, do you just call them Maryland and Chicago? Or Greyhounds and Ramblers? Because you can't call them Loyola. And then everybody would be going, which Loyola are you talking about? Play-by-play man's a nightmare, that. That's exactly why I want to watch it. Do you want to torture me? Yes. Okay. Yes, I mean, Kraft has, you know, Temple has done well under Kraft. It's un, it's unclear how much credit he deserves for it because a lot of, a lot of the on-field success is because of, you know, coaches who predated him in, in a handful of sports. But um, it, it, by all accounts, it seems like he's done a very good job. And, you know... He, he's been, you know, rising pretty quick, and this would be a, a good position for him. I don't know if this would be, you know, like a final position for him. Or this if it, Yeah, or, you know, if it, if this is the kind of position he would hold for, for a long time, or if he would, you know, jump at a bigger job if he got one. You know, I'm still not sure where Maryland is, where Maryland is on that scale for him. We, we don't know. It, it's kind of interesting because it is the logical landing spot for somebody who is in a non-Power 5 school and is very successful, but Maryland's not exactly the biggest Power 5 job you can get. Uh, Lamar, what do you think about this AD search right now? Um, it, I really didn't see Curry being one of the finalists. I feel like it's just like, wow, that's... How did he make it this far? Maryland but, is why he made it this far. Yeah, but on the rest of it, I I can see Kraft ending up with a job. It still feels like this is more Damon Evans' job to lose. Um, but it's hard to it's still hard to evaluate Kraft as a as an AD at Temple. Like Thomas said, he hasn't really. Uh, outside of donations increasing when he came, there's no real evidence that he's the reason for any 
upswing or downswing. He's just been a solid AD, kept him out of the news, which isn't a bad thing, but uh, is still not sure how well he could do in like a hiring search for like a uh, new basketball coach. Maybe. He did hire Jeff Collins. So, I mean, you lose Matt Rule, who took them to winning the AAC when he was hired by Temple, and they hired Jeff Collins, who had connections to the school. I mean, they're not a bad program for mid-majors or non-Power 5. They're a respectable program. Maryland's playing them this year, which would make it very interesting if they did hire him. But, I mean, it's, he's not terrible, and Temple is definitely respectable in terms of mid-major programs. They make the NCAA tournament every now and again. They have a decent football team every now and again. There's nothing embarrassing about Temple. I mean, okay, there are some yes. embarrassing about Temple. I would know. I've got a lot of friends at Temple. But beyond the other stuff, it's as an athletic program, it's not that bad. And a logical the, step up would be a place like Maryland. But the problem is it's all about the direction you're going for. So, like you said, everything at Temple is like nothing's that bad. It's like everything's above average. They're, it's, everything seems to be fine. But it's not they they don't really they haven't made waves since Rule left and Jeff Collins solid hire, but it's still too early to see how well that goes long term. Um, it would be a step up, and he has the Under Armour connection. He inked Temple to that deal mm-hmm. or helped ink them to that deal. So we'll see. He's in. He he looks. He has all the makings of like a rising star in like the AD circle. So. I wouldn't be surprised if Kraft walks away with the job, and it wouldn't be a terrible hire. No, it wouldn't, and uh, he had nothing to do with Fran Dunphy, but that's always a consistent basketball program. So there were a lot of rumors. I was talking with some friends of mine from Temple because uh, Porter Moser actually had connections to Temple, and there were some rumors that that might have gone down at some point. It never did, obviously, but it's interesting. I think some of their other like lower non-rev sports have also had an uptick in recent years. I think their soccer team's doing better, but soccer at Maryland, you, you don't really – able to do anything so that's the update on the ad search thomas do we have a timeline now that we've heard a final three uh, i don't think it'll be too long before we hear who ends up winning this i don't know a timeline um apparently they're doing interviews like right now and probably into the coming week um so we might know within the next week or two it seems um and then we'll see what happens from there but it seems like we're now pretty close to a decision. And we could we speculated that we could be waiting a while. But now it seems like before the end of July, I think we're going to have an answer. Before the start of July, maybe. It could, could be, too. Absolutely. So there is that to speak of. Uh, we should also mention about Jordan McNair. That was last week. And still all very heartbroken by it uh the press conference was just brutal to sit through i hated every minute of having to watch that it was honestly one of the toughest times that i've had covering and watching maryland sports and anything i mean we joke about how tough it is but nothing was as tough as that the news from that press conference and recently is that there's going to be an independent commission i think that's investigating what happened thomas i think you have more details on that yeah so they um hired you know an external company to conduct that investigation um damon evans you know said he believes that's that's the right way to do it um walters incorporated seems like you know the the right fit for that um i think i saw somewhere that within 90 days we should 
definitely have answers. So that would be, um, it could be September, earlier. early September-ish. I think they'd like to then. get it done before the start of football season, though. You'd hope. I think that's what yeah, they probably. want. Probably. And uh, they've also made a lot of the off-season workouts voluntary. And they've obviously provided uh, resources for, for players to help with grief and such. So um, that's what, you know, those are the new sort of details that we've found in the last few days. Um, well, since there's obviously more, a lot more to come. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's obviously a lot more to come. Yeah, and we'll, we'll update those when it comes around. And there was another piece of news before we recorded this show. I'm glad it happened before we recorded than after it. Uh, Eliana Kristinaki played 22 games for Maryland, and now she's going to play pro. And Thomas, I was reading the piece that uh, Justin was writing, and he was talking about how she had offers to play pro even after she left Florida. She went to Maryland, sat out for part of the season, played 22 games, was a pretty decent player, and now is leaving to go pro. And it just puts a little bit more pressure on all the young players that are coming in next year for Brenda Freeze. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, because... Kristinaki was a perimeter scorer, and they don't have a ton of those otherwise. Um, you know, Blair Watson was sort of revelation last year before tearing her ACL. Um, we still don't really know what what the deal is going to be with that injury, how, how long it's going to keep her out. Um, and that leaves Taylor Mikesell and Sarah Vujicic. They'll be, you know, perimeter shooters, perimeter scorers. Um, this probably bumps up their role quite a bit. And I, I would imagine it might move Kyla Charles to more of a predominant predominant small forward. She kind of played in some, you know, she's listed as a guard, but she was almost playing power forward kind of unofficially. So um, it might move her back toward the perimeter more frequently. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think Maryland's down to 10 players again. Um, that's thin. You know, yeah. I mean, they've, you know, they've had these, these weird issues with, you know, a, a bunch of different players leaving for understandable reasons. Um, I'm, I'm a little surprised by, you know, Chris Tanaki making this decision now, um, rather than, you know, when she transferred because if she was getting offers then I don't I don't know I don't know how much she may or may not have helped herself at Maryland because she was kind of up and down really inconsistent uh, when she did play um, so it you know it, it'll probably sting for Maryland I, I still think they're more than likely the favorite to win the big Ten this year um, we'll, we'll just have to see how much it even with relying a lot on freshmen as they're gonna have to do again next year. Yeah, because there still are several juniors and a couple seniors that, you know, have been around and and the young talent is is real talent. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it'll work. Okay. Uh, one other thing that I should mention, I was just getting around to reading this. Uh, one of my favorite parts every summer is when Bill Connolly writes his previews for all the big teams in college football and the Maryland preview's up, and I have not had a chance to read it. I've been very focused on World Cup and other things that have been going on, but I now have to sink my teeth into it. 
Uh, what are we thinking about this? Because when Bill Connolly writes something about college football, it's imperative you read it, especially when it's about your team. So uh, who wants to chime in on this? Yeah, I, I like the Connolly piece. The foreword he gave about McNair really helped sum up some of the feelings about how it's going to be rough to just, like, cover this team or, like, how hard it must be for the rest of the players. But as a piece on Maryland, it sums up a lot of the feelings you have. Like, you look at the roster, you say, Maryland should be good sometime soon. And you thought it was going to be last year uh, after the opening against Texas. And then two quarterbacks go down and the season shot. So then it's like, all right, Maryland should be good this year. And there's a lot of four stars, a lot of blue chip recruits who are older and have been playing for Durkin for a couple of years now. So uh, I really think like you on paper, this looks like a team that should be better. It's, it's just a matter of seeing the product put together on the field. And that means, again, you're in the Big Ten East, which means you're going to lose a lot to teams that are demonstrably better than you. And, of course, there's also the change in offensive coordinator, which he talks about. If you haven't read the piece, I encourage you to read it. It's on the website. I encourage you to read all of the pieces because you will know a lot more about college football every time you read Bill Connolly write something. And I certainly think I know a plenty bit about Maryland, and then I realize I don't know nearly as much as Bill Connolly does. And Bill Connolly writes about 120-something football teams, and his pieces are always great. So... Enjoy that. Thomas, did we miss anything? I don't think so. Um, Hope not. The one story that I wrote was, was sort of like a, not a, not a scoop, but, but the feature on, on Caleb, I did another one. You did. Um, Our Caleb Henderson expert. Yes. Yes. You know, a, a story that, you know, I had kind of pieced together. Um, but, you know, at this point, now that he's not, at Maryland anymore. I can just like reach out to him independently. Um, and, you know, was able to get that done. You know, I, I was surprised by some of the things that I learned, you know, as you know, he didn't really tell the team the extent to which he was injured. They knew he was hurt. Um, they knew he was playing through it. And, and it was one of those where he was, you know, obviously he was injured, but he wasn't, injured enough to sit out or to have to sit out but he wasn't healthy enough that he was 80 percent i guess seems like not even 80 he was at like he was probably at like 30 or 40 and if you watched him at ohio state it would make sense like his arm was his elbow was like throbbing when he was and he threw one pass and wasn't you know wasn't able to complete it um you know ran a few times handed off a lot he it looked like he, he was going in hurt um and now we know he was and so it, you know it's it's an interesting story and it's not to you know say oh you know he would have been good but the injuries like we really don't know how good Caleb Henderson would have been in Maryland um you know obviously know how good he could have been anywhere cuz he's never been healthy yeah well he you know when he finally had, you know, the chance competitively, he wasn't healthy. Um, and then, you know, his first couple of years at UNC, Marquise Williams was the starter. And then he had to battle Mitch Trubisky for the starting job and couldn't do that. 
Uh, yeah, because um, Mitch Trubisky ended up being a top three pick in the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. I think that would be difficult. It, it turned out to be. And then he transferred, so I had to sit out of here. Then finally he gets his chance and he gets hurt. And it was the kind of injury that, you know, his dad thought maybe, you know, try to come back. You get two years left because he thought he was going to be able to get a medical red shirt for, you know, the injuries he had that kept him off the field. Um, but, but Caleb had, had kind of mentally moved on and now Probably he's for the best. I think that when players have to deal with that and they go through all of the trauma, I mean, these injuries could be just brutal on somebody who's as competitive and then it's just not happening. And then it might be best for somebody like that to move on and then start new and start fresh. I think coaching makes sense for him just for everything that I've read that you've written about him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, his, his dad has been, you know, coaching for three decades now. And Caleb actually, during his redshirt year, he became, you know, he was kind of just hanging out, helping out at Hayfield um, as, you know, a volunteer. And he was calling plays at the end of the season because he was just that naturally good at it. So Caleb Henderson, Maryland offensive coordinator one day. That's not entirely out of the possibility, you know. And wherever we are know. at that point in our lives, there are a we'll million be getting different you back ways. to cover that story. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll, I'll try and find a way to write about that somehow. That would that be happens. full circle in a way that I just can't imagine happening at any other place other than Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's amusing. So it is now basically the summer. We don't expect to hear much in terms of news, really, I guess outside of the athletic director. I mean, when that news is done, we'll, of course, talk about it. But other than that, I don't think there's much until football camp starts up in August. Yeah, July is usually pretty quiet. Um, we'll try to do some other stuff around here. Won't be too quiet in your ears with podcasts. We're going to try to work some things out through the months of uh, the rest of June and into July before football season really gets underway. We'll try something. We'll have something for you, whatever it might be. But uh, – yep. Thank you for listening to this show. Hopefully you now all enjoy being quasi-Atlanta Hawks fans, as we all have to be. We better accept it. It's life. And until then, of course, no terms.